Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. Hey, and welcome to Game Changers Live. You can catch us each and every week on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, whatever platform you love to listen to and watch your videos on. We are there and uh, bringing you people who have been game changers in their field. So today, my guest is Hugh Rogers. He's the CEO and director of XFIDO Therapeutics Corp. He's an entrepreneur and a lawyer with private and public startup company experience in various industries and operational roles. His recent advisory work has focused on public listings and corporate restructuring. The restructuring has occurred in the life science, cell therapy, and medical device and natural resource industries. So Mr. Rogers holds a bachelor degree in cellular biology and genetics and a law degree so that you don't see those too often. And he's a member in good standing of the Law Society of British Columbia. So coming to us live from Canada. How are you, my friend? Welcome to Game Changers. Very good. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about XFIDO and you know what are some of the exciting things that are going on right there and what it is that you guys do because you're an accelerator. So tell me about some of the things that you guys are working on and, and how that's making a big difference. That's right. So XFIDO looks for opportunities uh, for investment in, life sci- in the life science industry and we like to be out at the leading edge. So these are uh, you know, sort of like the next generation of opportunities, everything from psychedelics to cannabinoid drug formulations, clinical trials. Um, right now, we're launching a product in Europe. It's a point of care uh, rapid PCR test for COVID-19. So we play in a few different verticals, diagnostics, drug formulation, uh, psychedelics. So, you know, our, what we try and do is really drive innovation uh, that has a significant impact. You're, in, you're playing in some very interesting spaces everywhere from, from COVID testing to psychedelics. How do you guys decide what products to go after that have potential? Yeah, so like I said, I mean, opportunities with, um, I think they're scalable with respect to impact. So I think the best um, example will be, let's say, platform technologies. Uh, we acquired a German-based drug formulation uh, company. They're, they're focused on sublingual dissolvable formulas as well as transdermals. They work with major pharma. Uh, we acquired them because they're a platform. We can incorporate new cannabinoid formulas, new psychedelic formulas into their platform. So that single technology acquisition uh, has been turned into, let's say, a pipeline of 20 different new drugs. Um, that's, that's the type of impact, uh, the opportunity to leverage technology, uh, and scale it. And I, I think that's our biggest, uh, um, the most attractive, um, let's say characteristic we look for scalability. Interesting. So, so the U S has obviously seen a lot of progression over the last couple of years with, uh, with cannabis. And now as we're starting to see into psychedelics, so that's a really exciting and, and, uh, and new area. For, for you guys and for the country, tell me a bit more about the therapeutic benefits of, of these psychedelics and what types of products are you guys working on? Yeah, so the psychedelic space, I think, is really exciting. I mean, these are this is absolutely the cutting edge of mental health um, treatment. I mean, everything, depression, anxiety, trauma-related uh, 
counseling, uh, whether it's PTSD, we've got addiction in there. I mean, this is, and, and the preliminary data looks extremely promising. These are new classes of drugs. I mean, they've been around for a long time and in some cases have been used for thousands of years in traditional medicine. Um, but it's really just sort of in the last couple of years that the opportunity for, let's say, the, for a corporate entity to take this on, um, that's, that's just, we're just getting started here. Um, we have chosen, and, and you mentioned cannabis, and there's a reason, you know, we developed our strategy around what we saw in the cannabis space. And that was, um, we expected several years ago, there to be a, basically an oversupply of extremely high quality isolates, for example, like pharmaceutical grade THC and CBD. We didn't see that. Um, I think largely because of the recreational market, it just wasn't necessary to get that pharmaceutical grade quality. Uh, what we expect in the, in the psychedelic space is something similar where we see a lot of cultivation licenses, for example, for something like psilocybin or magic mushrooms in Canada, you know, the government's quite relatively liberal in terms of, well, I should say actually internationally, they're at the absolute forefront in the Canadian government. Uh, there's actually you know a fair number of these licenses that have given out so you can cultivate psilocybin the mushrooms but how do you standardize that formula i mean you can standardize maybe you can get close to like a percent psilocybin but in terms of the other components in there it's extremely difficult so what we're doing um for example in psilocybin is we have a biotechnology program in germany right now with the leading university and we're incorporating a number of genes into uh, microorganisms to produce industrial scale EU GMP psilocybin. So these will be, it's in a bioreactor. This is a very common practice in the medical industry to produce various uh, organic compounds. And, and that's just an example of where we want to be uh, basically create the foundation for the production of standardized product, then incorporate that standardized product into our uh, drug formulation platform. So whether it's an oral dissolvable or a buccal, a dissolvable um, or even potentially a transdermal different opportunities and then clinical validation. So we have a few of these uh, projects on the go and in Germany, as I said, uh, psilocybin in Canada right now, working on the industrial scale uh, GMP production of pharmaceutical grade mescaline. So that's another one where you know, mescaline people are probably wow. familiar with it. Yeah. From peyote cactus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Porch or San Pedro or whatever. It's, it's relatively common, but not easy to scale. Let's say that the agricultural production of cactus. So, so uh, for Matt, for let's go back a second. So, for the magic mushrooms, so there's a lot of licenses to cultivate it. So, mm -hmm. there is a specific type of mushroom, and and so they just grow it like a crop, and it is yeah, so outside or is are, it? A yeah, mushrooms are pretty easy to grow. I mean, let's say relative to cannabis, I and mean, cannabis is is actually to to have a very high quality cannabis crop with no mold and let's say no use of like no spray or no pesticides or fungicides, you know, you have to really control humidity and temperature and mm -hmm. um, you have to know what you're doing to do it properly. Magic mushrooms are a little bit different. I mean, they're essentially, uh, you know, growing, it's a, it's a moist room with, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> sort of keep a constant temperature and, and the mushrooms grow, but to standardize the actual, let's say to produce a medical product from that is different because now you've got, let's say 50 different producers with 25 different strains of mushrooms and each one is a little bit different than the, you know, even the one beside it, mm -hmm. you're going to get some variation. And now you try and run a clinical trial on that and standardize that and scale that it gets much more complicated. 
So yeah, so many variables of it, right? Absolutely. Um, and we saw this in cannabis where <clears throat> the profile of the bud from a single plant from top to bottom was not the same. So you try and scale wow. you know, over multiple crops of, you know, of cannabis. And if you're growing it even in a controlled greenhouse, let's say, you know, it gets better in a, a full sort of high scale hydroponics. But as you move away from that into a greenhouse, especially in a place like Canada, Canada where you have extreme temperature and humidity fluctuations, and it's impossible to standardize that product. Um, so what we're doing is focusing on the production of the actual, the medical component. So the, the active pharmaceutical ingredient, standardize the industrial scale production, standardize the precision dosing so that these can be used medically in a predictable way. So is the, what, it, what is the active ingredient that you're, you're trying to kind of control? Is it, is it the, it's the psilocybin. The psilocybin. Yeah. Okay. And then in, in, uh, in, when it comes to mescaline, it's mescaline. It's normally found in, let's say peyote and it's ingested. Sometimes you're nauseous and you certainly, you know, there's a, there's a long history uh, of use around peyote cactus and mescaline, especially in certain parts of the United States. Uh, it certainly does, it does seem to be effective, um, particularly for addiction counseling, uh, addiction therapy. So what we're doing is standardizing the production. So this is GMP pharmaceutical grade, industrial scale production of mescaline, incorporating that compound into our um, drug delivery platform, and then we'll run clinical trials on that. So it's really just sort of let's say traditional medicine and then partnering that, marrying it with modern scientific approaches and medical validation. Right. And so you haven't tried, you haven't uh, gotten to the point where you're, you're doing the human studies. Not yet. So Not within yet. 12 months, we'll be launching uh, clinical studies. And, wow. and that'll, that'll be in Germany. I know the clinical studies for mescaline will be in Canada. Okay. For mescaline. But how about psilocybin? Psilocybin, um, likely Canada. Psilocybin is actually a fairly crowded space now. And you have a sort of 150 plus clinical trials running. Uh, really? That many? Predictions. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a busy space. So we're not as, let's say, committed to, to the clinical validation. What we will produce, though, is the standardized API um, for either wholesale or um, incorporation into our drug delivery platform and then either license that to other clinicians um, or sell it outright. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you guys are doing some, 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 uh, some groundbreaking work there. You know, the, the future definitely is in that space. So you're obviously in the, in the right uh, area and the right trajectory there. Tell me a bit more about, about your trajectory in your career. How did you end up in this role? You know, was, was this something that you envisioned, uh, you know, as, as you were studying in, in the life sciences and then you went to get your law degree, how, how did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always loved science, um, certainly biology and then, uh, took some time off and thought, you know, it's either you go to medical school or law school. Those are <laughs> sort of <laughs> top of my mind. And I thought, you know, I'm probably not best suited to be a doctor. So I went to the, into law and, uh, business was definitely a top of my list. So I ended up you know, being on the West coast, Canada, I did some mining work, uh, restructuring mostly in, uh, disposition of distressed assets, that sort of thing in, in a bunch of industries, uh, hydroelectric power, natural gas, cogen, uh, life sciences as well. When the opportunity came to get involved, um, or really to, to start ex Fido, 
it was through discussions um, with a, a broker here, a financier in Vancouver, who was very involved in the early days of Aurora Cannabis. And they had gone public. And what we saw was this, it was sort of, you know, it's interesting. You know, Canada was really, it was sort of like the, the ground zero for investment in cannabis because it was deregulating here. Um, and the public exchanges would allow the listings of public of, of someone involved in cannabis. So it was first, like the first wave was if you had cannabis in your name, it was almost like the dot-com wave. And then the second wave <laughs> was like, oh, if you had a license and the third wave was, you know, sort of how big is your license? And companies were raising phenomenal amounts of money based on, um, the size of the square footage of their license. And we thought that this was crazy because, you know, as I mentioned before, the idea that you could grow, and these were greenhouses, that you could grow a consistent crop, like four cycles in a single year in Canada, given our like highly volatile climate, you know, <laughs> extreme climates. Right. You know, this just made absolutely, like the, the really expensive. good growers were sort of laughing at this conceptually. Yeah. But, you know, billions of dollars were raised. We thought, okay, well, you know, cannabis is here to stay. And if we're going to participate on the medical side, where are the opportunities? And we thought, okay, well, it's it's going to be standardized formulations and dosages. And we saw still saw Europe as a big opportunity for investment. So, you know, we got on a plane. We went to Germany. Um, we made a few acquisitions. Uh, one was a scientific cannabis company. Another was a drug formulation company. Um and you know, I guess the rest is history. We have we have three uh, cannabinoid products going uh, in human uh, trials this year. Uh, these are oral dissolvable formulas. Uh, they're highly efficient, sort of ten times, approximately ten times more efficient than oil-based formulas. They're immediately bioavailable. Um, they're much less expensive. Um, so this is part of our sort of precision, precision dosing. So, you know, mm. traditional medicine partner it with, um, with modern science and, uh, provide a benefit to the ultimately to the patient. So is that, is that the area where you guys feel you have your competitive advantage? I think so. I mean, I, I think we can move faster than most companies. We're small, uh, you know, we're very nimble. We've got, um, how many employees? We have about 30 employees in Germany, 25 of those are science-based. Um, our lab there, you know, we can turn around a new drug formulation product in less than 30 days. You know, wow. we've done that before. So I don't know anybody, you know, there's very few, you know, really sort of world-class thin film drug delivery companies. You know, we own hundred percent of one of those. We've did, we, we're still doing work for major pharma. Um, major generic companies and but nobody i'm not aware of anybody who can move as quickly as us so when you know we say okay well, let's do a mescaline product and we send mescaline to germany you know 30 days later we've got you know what's pretty close to a final formula what do you think has changed the mindset of governments in terms of being much more lenient and open to the therapeutic possibilities of of uh you know cannabis and 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 mescaline and and now psilocybin and so forth what has spurred on this kind of reconsideration, do you think? I think it's a few things. I think there's trends generally towards harm reduction versus sort of absolute um, enforcement of certain rules. I think part of it's just simply demographics. People are getting the generation that 
thought cannabis would turn you into a psychotic killer. <laughs> there aren't a lot of those people around. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You're more in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I think you have a different view. Um, I think the other side of it is the data. If you simply look at the data in terms of harm or damage to society, and you start weighing, let's say, alcohol against cannabis, I mean, it's, it's a pretty obviously for historic reasons, you know, alcohol is legal. But if you look at sort of, you know, violent crime, accidents, uh, hospitalizations, um, everything from, you know, domestic abuse to uh, lost work to lost productivities. I mean, alcohol is like off the chart in terms of the cost right, of society. Right. So you start weighing that against other drugs and it just doesn't, the data doesn't really, it doesn't justify you know, abolition of, uh, of some of these other substances. And then you start looking at the, the evidence around psychedelics, for example, um, and, and the improvement of mental health. And it's a pretty compelling argument, um, at least, you know, in a, in a highly regulated um, environment to, to use these as therapeutics. It's, uh, it's pretty attractive. So you fast forward five or 10 years from now, what are you guys working on? What What's your vision for, for XFIDO and, and what kind of environment are you guys going to be working in, you know, in, in terms of kind of regulatory and so forth? What, what do you think it's going to look like in five, 10 years from now? So I think it depends on which vertical. I think the diagnostics business is probably, you know, five years from now is probably, um, well, certainly will be its own entity. Uh, we'll be a shareholder already. We're putting the pieces together for an independent management team. I think the drug formulation business um that's one more difficult to predict because i i think you know we really like that company because we could slot in different compounds you know whether it's mdma or mescaline or psilocybin right. and it's you know it's highly scalable uh the psychedelics um we would you know five years from now we'd like to be you know well on our way um on some on some approved products in the market and whether that's you know we're just selling Selling API, um, you know, that's one thing. I think having an approved product is another and how that's integrated into counseling programs and whether, you know, I see some models out there where some psychedelic companies are buying up um, treatment centers, for example, you know, that might be an opportunity. So uh, I think everything's on the table when it comes to the psychedelics. I think we're just getting started. You know, we've got, I think, decades of research and opportunity ahead of us. Yeah, it's a bold new world uh, that, that we're, we're heading into, and you're in a very exciting space. So um, as we start to wrap up, one of the things I always ask my guests is, you know, what was there a game-changing moment in your life, maybe a, 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 an event or moment or something that you thought of that really changed the trajectory of, of your career and, uh, or of your life, that it was something that really kind of hit home and, and, and had a big meaning to you as you look back? Was there a, a moment or a time like that in your life that you can recall? No, I, I don't think there was a single moment. Although I think in retrospect, the two biggest, the two best experiences in terms of learning, their teaching experiences were actually catastrophic failures that I had yeah. very early in my career. And they weren't my failures per se, but I was in, I was close enough to it that I, yeah, would, yeah. You know, I, I would love to hear about them. Cause that's, that's where the, the rubber hits the road, right? That's where we get our biggest lessons. Uh, tell me about those. Yeah. So I, there was a couple of deals where I was, I was close enough. As I said, I was on the inside and I sort of watched these things burn to the ground. Um, <laughs> and it was pretty ugly. And I, in one of them, I was, uh, I'd sort of been parachuted in by a major investor. Um, 
to sort of see what was going on, look under the hood and it was not pretty and it, it only got uglier after that. Um, I, I think basically I mean, it was fraud, I think. And being able to watch that and sort of see the personalities involved, you know, I learned a lot about who to trust and who not to trust. And, you know, at some point you've got to look at some numbers. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you think so. But yeah, in, in terms of, you know, you, you learn a lot for the important, the importance of leadership, right? In an organization and, and fiscal uh, responsibility and fiduciary responsibility and so forth as, as you, yeah. Cause yeah, you know, responsibility, you, you said, yeah, responsibility to your shareholders. And I think, um, in terms of, uh, certainly compliance and in, in those cases, there was one case where, you know, the CEO was adamant that certain regulatory, certain, certain standard, uh, reporting requirements, uh, weren't necessary in his case. And he had all sorts of convoluted arguments about why that was, why that was the case. And, uh, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, yeah, yeah. uh, became apparent that he was hiding something. So what, what is your leadership philosophy? How, how, how do you lead, you know, what, what's your approach to leadership? I'm highly collaborative. So we have, you know, we have several subsidiaries, two of which operate in Germany, um, large, I wouldn't say independent of the parent co, but we do have an accelerator model where, you know, we're investing in other companies and, and or we've acquired other companies and each of those companies has their own strong leadership, um, you know, within their sort of their niche, you know, their area of expertise. So, you know, we listen to them when it comes to the, the technical details and, and their advice and strategy in terms of advancing a product. Uh, and they listen to us in terms of monetization and finance and, and let's say even the marketing of those products. So I, would say, I would say overall quite collaborative. You know, it's certainly not top down. Well, you guys are definitely doing some great things at uh, XFIDO. And so congratulations on your success, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for being on Game Changers. Appreciate it and wishing you all the best of luck going forward. Okay, thanks a lot, Sergio. If you loved what you heard in today's episode of Game Changers, please subscribe and rate us. The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable. So I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it you may end up being the game changer in their lives.